cover of Fast Company, an entrepreneur is always about like that amazing CEO, and they always highlight like these heroes and these individuals and these you know named people. Whereas I think what I feel is Jelly's biggest strength and will be our biggest strength going forward is that it's not uh, owned or led by one person; it's owned and led by a team. Welcome to the Small but Mighty Agency Podcast. If you're a creative consultant or agency owner who wants to know what the roller coaster ride really looks like to grow your business from one to many, you're in the right place. My guest and I pull back the curtains on the realities of growing and running agencies of different sizes and what it takes to build a team. And if you're anything like me, you want more than the highlight reel. You want to learn from the mistakes of others so that you can stop short of making the same mistakes. I'm your host, Audrey Joy Kwan. I spend my days as a coach and consultant to multiple six and seven figure agency owners. For the last seven years, I've been behind the scenes helping people grow, lead, and operate small but mighty agencies. Here at the Small But Mighty Agency podcast, we'll uncover what works and equally as important what didn't work to get these business owners to where they are today. In this special episode, we speak to founder Darian Kovacs and partner Sarah Clark from Jelly Marketing and PR, an agency that serves over 80 clients. Darian has been able to focus on his zone of genius in the business by knowing what isn't his zone of genius and being open to the idea that what might be best for his business is not an agency that is owned by one person. Instead, it's owned by a team and led by a team. Enter Sarah Clark, who is now partner and oversees processes and people at Jelly. Listen to how they make it work in this episode as partners and with their unique systems and processes. Welcome, Darian and Sarah. Before we dive in, tell us about your agency, what you do over at Jolly Digital Marketing and PR, and who's on your team. Oh, goodness. Well, thank you so much. Um, Jelly Digital Marketing and PR is a full-service digital marketing agency based in Fort Langley, British Columbia. So we do everything online, everything from social media to digital ads, paid ads, public relations, SEO, uh, website development. We do it all outside of Fort Langley. So yeah. We have two people on the call today. So let's have uh, Sarah introduce herself. And then Darian, I'm going to have you introduce yourself too. Cool. So I'm Sarah Clark. I am the Director of Operations and Personnel at Jelly Marketing and also recently a partner. I'm Darian Kovacs, uh, partner at Jelly and uh, the occasional uh, doodler. But I haven't had any doodles used by our clients. So sometimes I will doodle drawings, but then never been used professionally. So amateur hobby doodler. <laughs> doodler and also a podcast host yourself, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Darren, why don't you give us a backstory of how Jelly Digital Marketing and PR started? So in eight years ago, uh, Jelly started uh, with the whole idea and the premise of taking three disciplines. So public relations, so earned media, uh, you know, kind of the pitching stories to reporters, that whole world. Uh, and then digital ads. So at the time it was Google mostly. So Google AdWords and Google search ads. Uh, and then the third discipline of social media marketing, which is very new at the time. So it was managing people's Facebook pages, getting them on YouTube. And it was saying, hey, those three disciplines could really work really well together. They can feed into each other. They can support each other. You know, if you're doing something on social, it affects PR. If you're doing something on PR, it affects social. And then we learn with those three disciplines uh, they also have an effect on SEO. So we added that as kind of a fourth service that uh, we provide and, and support and report on. Um, and so I started in my basement here in Fort Langley. And then eventually we moved to a storage closet in the basement of Domain 7 out in Abbotsford. Uh, and then we moved to another spot uh, in Abbotsford where Rally Creative uh, was based. So we were able to rent a room up there. And then we moved to Fort Langley. And then uh, to a little space that we rented. And then about a year and a bit ago, we ended up uh, getting a permanent space that we were able to custom uh, kind of TI out and uh, moved in. And we've been here about a year and a bit. Nice. Sarah, were you part of the days when Darren was in a basement and, and I think you said a garage? Storage closet. Basement storage to a closet. storage closet. Yeah, it was the big upgrade. 
Yeah. So Sarah, were you were you there during those days? Thankfully, I was not a part of Darian's basement days. I joined Jelly still within the startup days, um, about a year after Jelly was started. And we were in a full office at that point. It was uh, in Abbotsford, right across the street from a Greyhound station. Uh, those are our, our little humble days, and but the best days. I had so much fun back then. Those startup days. I, you know, anyone who has been a part of a startup, it's uh, it's a special and incredible experience for sure. Are they the best? Are they better than now? I mean, in different ways. Like you know, they were just super fun, and you know, there weren't as many rules that we had to go by back then, right? So, Sarah, you mentioned rules. Tell us more about the days when there were less rules. Yeah, well, I mean, back then, obviously, in a startup, you don't have nearly as many processes as you do when you're an established business. So we've learned over the years that processes, SOPs, you know, having very detailed spreadsheets and, you know, a fantastic controller who helps us manage all of our finances is incredibly important. So, um, yeah, you you know, any startup, it's just a little bit more fun and free back then. Um, We still have fun, obviously, Darian, you know this, but uh, it's just different. I feel like there's more, I feel like there's more peace. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So it's more peaceful, less, less dynamic and hurried or uh, reactive. Now it's almost like we can proactively know what's happening. And, and when a new employee comes in or or even for you and I interacting, it's like, we've got these standard operating procedures. And so it's expected how we are to process things. And it's almost like, I think, how many SOPs do we have in our binder now? Like, well over a hundred. Yeah, I think as you as you grow an agency, definitely when you come into your seventh year and you have a whole bunch of clients and a team of twenty, those SOPs come into play. Before we talk about those SOPs in your business right now, Sarah, can you just take us back to uh, those first years of the business when you had entered? How did the team look like then? Yeah, the team. I mean, it's it's different in the sense that back then we had you know one or two people that were considered our coordinator team, and they were the ones who were producing and executing on the work. And it really just came down to back then we were we were all rallying together to work outside of our job descriptions to make everything happen. So um, it was a lot of you know we all just kind of rallied together and and got everything done. But uh, now it's it, now we've, we've grown into a, an organization that, you know, we have multiple departments and multiple people in each department. So we're able to work together as a team in these little siloed departments, but also all together at once, which has been pretty cool. I think at one point, like, like the, if you think of bench strength, like at one point we had like one account manager, one person doing social, one doing digital ads, one doing pair. So if they ever were sick, or, you know, or, you know, the whole term of being hit by a bus or they win the lottery, like our, that department was gone. Mm-hmm. And now, thankfully, if someone is sick or they're taking a week off, we've kind of got that back up and that bench strength. Yeah. So. Four account managers now and three PR coordinators instead of one. So it's much bigger. At what point in your business did you start to see the value in having standard operating procedures? I think it probably started when we started to bring on even more clients. You know, back in those startup days, we maybe had, Darian, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe 20 clients at that time, right? So now, um, or even say two years ago, we are running anywhere between like 60 to 80 clients at any given time. So when you have that many clients, and even still, you know, as your, your team grows, we're now at 20 people that you need to have those expectations and those standards in place so that everything is peaceful as it is now, as Darian said, people know what the expectations are. They know what their standards are and how they do things on a day-to-day basis. I was going to say, like, I think as like an artist and as a creative, like the whole purpose of being an artist and a creative is to like do something new and to think differently and to buck the system and to break things into like, and so I've, you know, it's SOPs are against everything that's in my DNA and who I stand for and who I am. And so they were, you know, I think you said, when did we discover the value? I think I've, you know, they were, they went against what I believed in. It felt like, you know, as a creative, but then once they were there, it was like the amazing, you know, kind of systems and flow and ease. And even just, it allowed us to be more creative because it gave us this structure and this foundation to work within. I think when you think of standard operating procedures, we think restriction, boundaries, no. And 
we struggle against that. But once they get put into place, it's amazing how we can get even more creative within the standard operating procedures and also have the confidence knowing that the team is in line and, and that they're working towards the same goals because they have these procedures to work with. Sarah, I'm interested. You has, had mentioned that you were an account manager at one point in Jelly, and then you transitioned into this operations role. How did that look like for you? Was it natural for you to transition into that role? Was it a passion of yours? What inspired that? Yeah, it was very natural. And I'd say my entire growth at Jelly has, I think, been very organic through, you know, day one when I actually started as a social media coordinator um, in the startup days. And I think, like I said earlier, back then, everything is just about working outside of your job description for the betterment of Jelly or the betterment of the business that you're in. And I think as my growth continued at Jelly, that was always something that was very consistent. When I was an account manager, I was helping out Darian with all of our sales. I was doing up all of our contracts. I was looking for opportunities to help out with interviews because I have a passion for people and a passion for helping people in their in their work. So I was always looking for opportunities to go outside of my job description. So yeah, I was an account manager. And when the opportunity came forward for me to step into a operations and HR position at Jelly, all of those, there was a number of things that I was already doing in my current role as an account manager on top of it to support me in this transition into this new role. So when I found myself in this new position, it felt comfortable. Still challenging, of course, because I didn't know, I still don't know everything and I'm still learning every single day. But I had been doing so much of what the job was in my current pos- or in my old position, I guess I could say, uh, that made it for a smooth transition. And now fast forward to this year and you are a partner at Jolly. So Darian, what motivated you bring to bring in a partner into the business? Well, I can talk about Sarah specifically. It was, uh, you know, someone who had been a coordinator, was an account manager, I was running operations. And so to have someone who you know, knew the company inside and out, literally, and who, you know, in, in the kind of ebb and flow of Sarah's and Maya's role, where I'm, you know, in a sense, leaning forward on the kind of growth, business development side of things, and Sarah kind of buckling down to run operations, it's such this beautiful balance. And so then to have Sarah also, uh, you know, she was already acting like an owner, and then to actually give her true ownership uh, stakes and I don't even call it stocks or whatever the term is. You know, what do you, what do you call it? What did, what did you buy? You buy in? Shares. 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 You didn't actually get the paper share though, copy of it. That'd be cool. I didn't. No, I can't no. frame that, right? No, like the like you see in the old West days. Look at my shares. Here's my shares. We didn't do a picture of us shaking hands or anything. Either. No, no. But it's she's it's such a perfect team up. And I think too, it's I think the the affirmation of like, it's so much better together. Right? There's there's this amazing uh, author, uh, Henry Nowen, that wrote this great book about leadership. And his whole model is that you know leadership should be done together and, and decisions should be made together as a team. And again, it's very backwards to what I think so many, uh, you know, so much of the world says where it's like, you know, cover a fast company and entrepreneur is always about like that amazing CEO. And they always highlight like these heroes and these individuals and these you know, named people. Whereas I think what I feel is Jelly's biggest strength and will be our biggest strength going forward is that it's not uh, owned or led by one person. It's owned and led by uh, a team. And uh, and together, uh, we can see this grow. And together, we bring different perspectives. And, and both of us have blind spots. Mm-hmm. I, I particularly have many blind spots. And, and to have someone beside you is, is really helpful. Darren, with Sarah right now in the operations and people role, what is your role in the business right now? Yeah, you should ask Sarah that. She's like, what, what does Darian actually do, Sarah? What does he do all day? So I, I, I'm trying to vet incoming clients that come in. So I'll try to vet them. And, and Sarah even helps with that, of course, as well. But I'll try to, you know, take those calls or take those incoming inquiries uh, I've been working on developing our school. So we're uh, much like if you've seen ER or Grey's Anatomy, they're teaching hospitals. We're a teaching agency. So we have an arm of our agency that's an academy. So I've been working on that and developing that part because I just love the teaching part of things. Uh, and then we've been, you know, again, I'm realizing as I'm saying that Sarah has been so kind enough to uh, also allow me, we've been able to develop Marketing News Canada, which is like a podcast and a news uh, site to kind of talk about industry. And we've been able to add a, I think, a lot more um, diversity 
and inclusion and different perspectives when it comes to the marketing world um, and even coming at it from even geographically a Western perspective versus a Toronto perspective. So that has been very cool. Uh, and then I show up to the, you know, I go to the shareholder meetings. We have a monthly financial review and I get the joy and privilege of having to make sometimes those awkward calls where it's like, we have to call the client if it's not a right fit or call the client if it's, I have to try to sometimes put out some fires or fix things. But again, it's great because we're doing it together and it doesn't actually feel burdensome or tiresome. Yeah. I'd say that's one thing that I think makes us such a great partnership is our ability to kind of jump in together on a number of things and, uh, you know, support each other on everything. Even though I lead operations in HR, Darian leads sales in the podcast, we can jump in at any time for each other and, uh, yeah, be a team. When I think of uh, how your relationship looks like in the business, I think of offense and defense. So Sarah, you're in, if you think of a sports team, right? So Sarah, you're in this defense mode because you're making sure the internal operations is going smoothly. And Darian, you're in the offense mode because you're in the marketing and sales area. And so together, you guys are this amazing team that has the perfect offense and the perfect defense to make the team work pretty cool. I'm often uh, referred to as the mama bear. So I'm very protective of our, our jelly jar the people that are in it and uh, our little office here. So um, I feel like that would be a pretty accurate representation, though I do think Darian is also very defensive with, uh, with jelly as well in that play. And I think, yeah, and I think where, and, and maybe what's unique is that there isn't, I don't feel like there's opposing forces here. So I would like, in a sense, I would disagree with that comment because it's like, I feel like we, it's more like we're we're standing together and carrying this load together. And, and there's times that Sarah just is like, she just tactically speaking, she is dealing more to day to day with the operations and I'm tactically pushing, you know, sales forward. But again, when either of us needs to kind of jump in and be like, Hey, can you help carry this for a bit? Or can you help me with this piece? You know, that we, we don't stop for a minute. Cause it's not like, well, it's not my job description, right? I'm not, you know, or, or it's not like, well, Sarah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make a burden for you, right? Or Sarah's not, you know, or vice versa. So it's more trying to be like, hey, we're in this together. We both want to see this grow. But I think we've, maybe I think I've learned and tried to mature over the years of realizing my level of love and respect for operations has grown significantly and and the need for it. And the, the way that the only way forward for us to grow and do great work. And I think ultimately, and Sarah touched on this and, and can probably touch on a lot more, is the ultimate way to show love and respect and care for staff is to give clear expectations. Like in any marriage, relationship, partnership, any of that, you know, when you go in with clear expectations, client relationships, if expectations are really clear up front, you know, there isn't those missed opportunities. There isn't those missed expectations. Well, it sounds like both of you guys are in your zone of genius in your respective areas of the business. Sarah, you in the system processes and, and people and team and Darian, you in sales and marketing. And I think Darian, what you're highlighting is that they don't live in separate silos, that you are still integrated into what Sarah does and Sarah is still integrated in what you guys do. But the beauty of it is that you get to live in your zone of genius. Yeah. And it's fun. Like, and I don't know, I think without the systems and operations, like, I don't think we'd be able to do half the things we do or, you know, and it's maybe it's a bad analogy and, you know, but comparing it to like, if you've ever worked at McDonald's, right? Like the amazing thing about McDonald's, whether you love them or hate them and think they make bad or great food or, uh, you know, this, if you've ever worked there, they have these incredible systems in place so that they can be really efficient. And no matter your level of, you know, I remember I was 14 and going through puberty and, you know, you know, really clumsy, somehow I could work there because they have these systems in place that anyone at whatever level of skill they have can work in McDonald's. Not that we're saying jelly is like McDonald's, but it's just learning those systems can allow people to go into that uh, role and ideally kind of start, you know, jogging more quickly than having to, to slowly work into the role. I think of systems like IP or intellectual property. It's the lifeblood of every organization. It's the know-how that gets passed down, especially in a service-based business where knowledge can get lost, passing things down so that people can be both effective and efficient and helping clients get results is what makes the business special. Sarah, I have a question for you about transitioning in partnership. What worked well for you to make the transition? And in hindsight, is there anything you would have done differently? 
Yeah, I'd say, I mean, we touched on it earlier about how smooth and organic the transition was. You know, I was constantly moving into different roles. And with that, you know, I was being exposed to more areas of the business while I was in a previous role. So it just made it very, I don't want to say easy to transition in, but it made it a lot smoother to transition into this this role. And I think one thing that I'd like to highlight is the fact that, and I, I think anyone can really take this into their organization, is the fact that I did work through all of those roles in the business before jumping into a larger role has given me the opportunity to really see and walk through those trenches with our team and be able to see, you know, like, yeah, those moments are really hard. How can I support you? I've been there. This is what worked for me back then. Maybe we can see if this works for you now. In hindsight, something that could have been done differently. I'd I'd lean on Darian to see if he had any thoughts there. But for me, I feel like four years ago, Sarah would have been like, oh, let's do this quicker. Let's make this happen faster, faster, faster. But uh, that that was me being young and not really knowing the difference between what I was really hoping for and what I needed in that moment and what I thought I needed in that moment versus what is what Jelly really needed in that moment and what Jelly was ready for. So Darian, do you think anything could have been done differently? Yeah, I like I like that reference to, you know, I know a very popular business magazine is Fast Company, but I think, you know, if we can operate under the premise of slow company, you know, I think, yeah, it was maybe slower than everyone would have liked, but I feel like it, it, it happened and it happened good and well and right. And, you know, there hasn't been any awkward like, oh, what about that? Like we really talked through a lot of things ahead of time. So that again, similar to expectations, Sarah coming in, it's almost like if you look at expectations like lamps, right, is a good way to put it. It's like it brings light to kind of murky, foggy situations. And so it's like, you know, whether it's SOPs and, and filling it, you know, our agency with as many lamps as possible, or coming into partnership, because that, again, it's similar to a marriage or, you know, a committed relationship where, you know, you're, you're literally tying yourself legally to someone through a corporation, through legal documentation, through a financial investment. And so if you don't know who or what or why, uh, or you're tying to yourself to someone, it, it can get really messy. And you hear about so many partnerships that are messy and messy breakups and ugly divorces and so I think going into this, we went slow, but I think with the intentionally because it was like, hey, let's go in with as much light as possible and, and illuminate this as much as possible. So coming in, really, it, it felt like a very casual, at the end, it felt quite casual. You know, Sarah got her new cards. Yeah. It was really cool. It was very smooth. And it was just, and, and she had already been operating and acting like an owner. So maybe my encouragement to other maybe owners that are listening to this right now is, you know, who is it in your shop and in your agency that's already acting like an owner? And, and maybe what stops you from bringing your operations person in as an owner? Because again, they, you know, it's the best team up. I think that's, that's possible out there. In terms of your team right now, I'm curious to know, are you grooming anyone up into your role right now, which is the operations role, Sarah? Uh, we always have, you know, a couple people that uh, assist with, you know, SOPs and uh, a little bit of business development here and there. But currently, I'm I'm doing it all by myself, alongside Darian, of course. So we don't have uh, a specific plan in motion for it, but uh, always looking to continue to nurture our team and and uh, help them grow in the areas that they're really interested in. Absolutely. What is working for your teams right now? What's working for them? One thing I would say is, you know, we are a digital marketing agency, but we are founded on the basis of a PR agency, which are typically retainer-based agencies. So what's working really well is the fact that they don't ha- our team members don't have the pressure of selling billable hours in their day-to-day work. You know, they don't have Sarah and Darian looking over them and being like, hey, you need to sell 200 more hours this month because we say so. You know, you have to push this towards our clients. Instead, we're we're asking our team to just do really great work for our, our clients that makes sense. So I think that that formula that we have is making our team quite relaxed and focused on the results for our clients versus selling. Darian, what are, what's working for the team right now? Uh, I, one little hack we did. So we use uh, Basecamp 2 as our project management system. And so, you know, I'll ex- explain one of our IPs or our SOPs was we made it where all the tasks that are assigned to coordinators and account managers are uh, given a one, two, three, or four. 
So if it is a four, it's, hey, let's think about this. There's just an idea, a little blue sky. Let's just, I'm going to plant the seed. Three is, this would be good to do when you, when you've kind of finished all your ones and twos or, you know, mostly just your twos. And you, let's look at some threes. Really cool opportunity here. Be good to do. Be a nice tab. You know, it's, it's like, look at your to-dos as twos and threes as tadas. And so the twos are, hey, this is the due date. This needs to get done on this date. And, and rarely, and, and this is kind of um, what a lot of people see as like, oh, it's cool to be culturally like always in one mode where occasionally a one would happen where it's like, hey, you need to drop everything, all your tasks and focus on this one. You know, and you know, so we'll see like three or four of those a week at most. But um, again, in, in, I think before all this, when we were running more kind of like reactionary, ones were happening all the time. And, and maybe we weren't even communicating ones very clearly. But now we've got a very clear system where it's a one, a two, a three, or a four for everyone. And so they're going into their week even ahead of time, looking at their base camp. You can look at base camp in the week mode and knowing what sort of week uh, load they have. In your agency, how do you determine who gets assigned to what project? Hmm. That's a great question, Sarah. Yeah. Maybe, I don't, I'm curious. Totally. Yeah. There's, a, there's a few things that go into play there. First and foremost, of course, you know, areas of expertise. So we typically have, you know, a few verticals at Jelly that we we roll with, you know, real estate development is a big one for us. The legal industry is a big one for us. A uh, little bit of like family, family entertainment is in there as well. So if we have an account manager who is managing, you know, the majority of our law firms will probably end up um, giving giving a new law client over to to that person. Another thing comes that comes into effect is, of course, capacity. You know, if a person has uh, way too many, or not way too many, but you know, they're at their their peak for the amount of clients that they they have, we're not going to put an additional client on on their plate. Um, those are the two big things for sure. Darren, you might have something else you'd add to that, but those are the big ones. And then sometimes it's just like interest, right? Like, like man, they, I know this account manager is really into this kind of thing, right? This is a perfect fit for them, right? And and again, they may be like, you know, a little heavier on the load or maybe, um, you know, it's maybe outside of their specific vertical that they've become an expert in, but it's a really cool opportunity. Or maybe uh, said company is based in uh, said city where said account manager's parents live. And that'd be a nice excuse for them to visit their parents. And so again, it's yeah. it's still very human. It's still very involved. And so I uh, I you know I find that most of the time though we we again thankfully we've been able to build a system where we know what our account manager's load looks like this month. We know what it looks like for the next you know three to six months. And so even as we see kind of resource allocation, we're able to actually bring in uh, new clients and new accounts and be able to say, okay, this is the best uh, team to be assembled for this. Account. Can you share more about the resource allocation and how do you guys track to ensure that people are not overwhelmed in their projects? Yeah. So two things. First and foremost, we actually built a platform um, that we use internally that tracks everything for us. We use it for tracking our revenue, all of our labor allocation for the upcoming months, um, all of our outsourced spend, so much goes into this. It's literally our baby. So we have that, which, you know, takes a peek at the numbers and can tell us, you know, based on what we've sold and what we're forecasting, um, this is what each month is looking like uh, from a revenue standpoint, and then also looking at every single person's capacity level. And then secondly, I am just a big fan of connecting with each and every one of our team members. I'm in constant communication with them. And it's not just as simple like, hey, how's it going? How was the weekend? It's like, no, how are you feeling? You know, how is this project affecting you? How are you feeling about your current workload? How can I support you? What can we do to make things a little bit easier for you? And just really having that open communication so that if there is ever a time where I don't or Darian or I don't see based on the numbers that, you know, someone might be getting to their peak, our team members know that they can come to us and they can let us know that they're feeling a little bit, a little bit frazzled. But shout out to like, like Function Point is an amazing tool that can do that. Um, Monday, there's so many great tools that even integrate with their accounting system. We just found that for our, the size of our agency at the time, they were all so robust and it was almost like they were huge and, and they almost did too many things. So we had a great accounting you know, company taking care of our bookkeeping and accounting. So we just needed a system that allowed us to uh, forecast. You know, I, I know that Harvest has a great tool called, you know, I actually think it's called Forecast, uh, but we just built it actually in Excel because we also wanted to integrate with our sales pitches and our sales proposals. So we did an Excel, ran it kind of in Excel for about a couple of years, and then we just 
um, built it in SQL. So it's just a simple SQL database that allows us to, to manage and monitor. But again, lots of great off-the-shelf programs out there that exist, like Vancouver-based Function Point. Capacity planning is one of those systems that a growing agency needs to get a good handle on. So thanks for sharing that, Darian. And speaking of your team, what inspires and motivates your team to be at their best? What motivates our team? Oh, man. Um, I think a big thing has been just feeling really happy in their workplace. And I know that sounds so like optimistic and idealistic, of course, but I really feel like when our team members come to work, they feel supported, not only by Darian and I, but also the team members that are around them. They know that they can go, you know, they can turn left when we're all in the office together and they can turn right and they have someone who has their back. We're all working towards a very collective goal. I think that definitely motivates them and inspires them. I think also um, a lot of our team members are inspired by a lot of our clients. Many of our clients are doing a lot of really great things, um, especially during these times with COVID. And I think they're they're just excited about the work that we're doing. On top of just being excited and passionate about digital marketing, obviously it's an it's a industry that there's all it's always moving and growing and shaking things. So uh, it's just uh, it's just a fun environment and industry to be in. Darren? I think Sarah got it. Sarah did great. Yeah. Are Are there any processes and systems that you have in play to inspire and motivate your teams? It's not so much a process or a system, but more so, I think, just a philosophy that Darian and I try to instill in the work that we do and how we lead the team. And it's really just, it comes down to just being very invested and, uh, you know, caring about the team members. So I really feel like when you're able to authentically show people that you genuinely care about how they're doing in their workplace, you know, their personal, professional growth, how they're they're starting to shine in different areas and what they're bringing to the table at Jelly, as well as, you know, how they are outside of work, caring about their family, caring about their physical and mental well-being. When you're able to really show that, that you care about that over, you know, maybe some financial statement numbers or, you know, the the bottom line. Obviously, those numbers are super important because you have to keep those straight in order to support those team members. When you're able to show people that you care, um, that's when I really think people start to shine in their workplace and they start to shift that mentality from wanting to come to work just to pay rent. And they shifted over to, I want to come to work because I'm inspired by the people I'm around. I'm inspired by the work that I do and I'm motivated every single day. So, and Sarah, you know, Sarah set up like we have like an education credit for people. So if they want to take courses or self-develop themselves, we got that. If they want to teach, they have an opportunity here as well. So some of our staff love the chance that we, uh, they can teach and, and ideally we're going to train them up to be even better teachers. And we registered ourselves as a B Corp a few years ago, which again, part of it is, you know, you got to get a, it's a point systems base and you get over a certain amount of points. You can actually register and get that emblem, much like organic mangoes, you know, we're like a B Corp agency. But one of the, the ways to get points is you have to put a thing in your actual, your shareholders documents that says, you know, our, our bottom line, like our, like our financial you know, goals is but you know is secondary is tertiary to the importance of treating the world, the environment, and the people around us in a really great way. B Corp had a way better way of saying that, but essentially we are legally obliged, you know, according to our shareholders' documents, to make sure that we put people that we serve, our clients, our staff, and and the environment around us above uh, shareholder value. For our listeners who don't know what B Corp is, can you explain what B Corp is? Yeah, it's, uh, it's much like you if uh, you own a mango company and you want to get certified as you know organic, officially USDA organic, you have to go through a bunch of policies and procedures and evaluations and tests, and then you can get that emblem. B Corp does the same thing for businesses. If you are a business that wants to show and tell the world that you want to care for the world, care for the environment, care for people, you can go through, again, their processes and evaluations to get that emblem put on your website. What inspired you guys to become a B Corp? I think it was the idea of even starting a company is why, you know, why, A, why even start another company? There's so many that exist already. So A, it was wanting to start one that, again, I saw this opportunity where those three disciplines weren't all in one shop yet. Again, it's other shops have caught up and, you know, other PR shops have added social to their stuff and other digital ads agencies have added uh, social to their shops. And so we've, you know, there's more and more like us out there. But at the time it was, hey, we want to be unique. Uh, and the second thing I want to do is I was like, hey, I want to at least at the same time while we're growing a business and making money and 
hiring staff. I want to you know, change the world a little bit in any small way we can. So again, we're not starting a charity or a nonprofit or a foundation, but as a corporate entity, I wanted to actually, you know, really, since we started, try to emulate that and live for that and operate like that. But I think B Corp just finally was that opportunity to actually wave that flag and put it in writing and make it a, a legal thingamajigger whatever that looks like to say that that's how we're going to operate. It's quite a process to get B Corp certified. So congratulations to you guys. How long have you been B Corp certified? I think we, we were B Corp for two years. Like we kept it going, but I don't think we sent in our check though this last year to, to get it to become like, so it's one of those, like we're, I think we're now a, a financially lapsed B Corp. So I think it's, uh, but we've maintained the standards. So uh, so, but it's officially been three years, I think. Yeah. In our first year, it was quite cool. We actually got rookie of the year for B Corp, uh, international, which is quite cool. So we got a, a cool little trophy in our office. Before we get back to the episode, I want to invite you to the free strategic connections roundtable, where creatives, consultants, and service-based business owners can meet new business connections without the awkwardness of traditional networking. It's a curated experience where the group fit is curated so that connections and conversations thrive. That means that every month, a strategic connections roundtable will bring together a group of service-based business owners in similar stages of business who can benefit from knowing each other so that you can make connections easier, share what your business offers, discover new resources, and have an opportunity to mastermind a challenge. Save your free seat at audreyjoyquan.com forward slash strategic dash connections dash roundtable. Above all, I care about genuine connections and authentic relationships in business. If that's you, check out the roundtable and curated networking experience today. You can get all the details and onto the free invite list over at audreyjoyquan.com forward slash strategic dash connections dash roundtable or click on the link in the show notes right there in your podcast app. Back to the show. Darian, I want to switch gears here and ask you about your podcast, Marketing News Canada. Why start a podcast? What's been happening over there? And how does it play a role in Jelly? Well, Sarah knows this. So many years ago, we also uh, co-owned a conference with uh, Christian Thompson from Marwick Marketing called the Canadian internet marketing conference and we would do it in a train station in squamish and, and, and hundreds of people would come to this event and a guy I knew wanted to come to the event and said hey can i get a free pass and, and people always ask can i get a free pass i'd love a free pass because i co-owned it i couldn't just start giving away passes so uh i said to him i said why don't you apply as media like press and do something cool do like a blog or something about the show and he says all right sounds great so he came up and uh and he, and he worked for this amazing charity in east van and he I saw him and I'd see him once I was like, hey, we'd say hi to each other. And at the end of the conference, and I think it was like a week later, he's like, Darian, guess what I did? I started a podcast for you. And so we, I think it was, I think even then it had a different, I think it was called like a jelly podcast or something. But what he had done was he had just hung out backstage with a really great audio recorder. So if you go back in the archives of Marketing News Canada, the first two episodes are a bunch of micro interviews with like Fab Dolan from Google and all these incredible speakers from all over. I think it's like 24 interviews on their first two episodes and he just gifted it to us. Uh, and then after that, I say, you know, he kept it. He's like, Hey, I can keep this going for you. So we're able to hire him and kind of, you know, subsidize you know, and support him financially because he wasn't getting paid great at this charity. And so we kept paying him to do it. And then eventually we, he got a new job and we hired someone in the house that had some broadcast background, Shahid. He said, Hey, let's do video and audio at the same time. So we, went into this new stage where it was audio and video. And then we, over time, we realized not many people were consuming long form educational content over video. So we've just been focusing solely on audio and we're in our fifth year now. Recently moved from anchor hosting over to Red Circle. So we could do that dynamic ad insertions. Thanks to Canada Post who came on board a couple years ago as our uh, sponsor. You know, this episode brought to you by Canada Post. Insight magazine, make sure you subscribe. We've had other sponsored episodes like Hootsuite. Hrefs came on and sponsored for a few months. Uh, so it's been really cool, actually, and some great guests. And I think, you know, as it, COVID's been hard on everyone, one of the people in particular has been speakers and, and authors because they haven't been able to go into these all conferences. But the benefit has been they're available to come on a podcast that is maybe not something they would normally do. And so we're able to have on Guy Kawasaki 
who was the CMO of Apple. We had on Seth Godin, who wrote a few books about marketing uh, and just some really great guests who were like, I guess I'll come on your show. Got nothing better to do today. I love having a podcast because of the relationships that are built and the connections that are made. For you and for Jelly, has the podcast translated into a marketing channel? No, no, ab- absolutely not. I, I like. I think. I think reality is I've never when when I took it back, like when when it's transitioned from uh, Rod over to Shahid and I when we were doing it. I just brought in people I thought were fascinating and, and I was just curious about. So I never, like, I know there's people that are like, have a podcast and then you could like bring them on and then sell them something or bring them on and you they could become your client. I just genuinely brought people on because I thought they were cool. And I never figured out that whole agenda in the guesting. So I just, uh, so any, most of the guests we brought on would never hire Jelly or, you know, the, the size of who they are, would like Lego or Starbucks uh, would never engage jelly at that level of the size they are and so very useless for jelly in in many ways so i the fact that i can still do it i i think is only thanks to canada post who finally actually allowed us to monetize it and i think we we're almost close remember sarah i think we we're almost close to shutting it down at one point because it was such like the ego project as we called it internally yeah because i it, it, it it's, hasn't been financially productive for jelly. No, but it's it's a passion project for for you, Darian. And uh, it's something that I think the team uh, really loves seeing you do as well. I don't know. It's 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 a it's work. And then it's also I think I have seen this. It is my own so again, it's my own personal professional development is how I actually see it. It's like the only way like if you know the benefit for me is like I've had these incredible opportunities to learn from a lot of really really smart people. Um, like we've had like we had Snap on recently, the head of creative for Reddit. We had on like the head of Canada for uh, TikTok who randomly also happened to be the first employee for MySpace Canada and the first employee for sorry MySpace Canada then Facebook Canada and now TikTok Canada. So he's this incredible brilliant mind that I've learned from but I don't know. It's it's I don't know what's going to happen with it. And then we learned that um, the Canadian government has this heritage fund, which goes to all those beautiful commercials we saw as kids that were like, you know, this moment is brought to you by Heritage Canada. And they support publications, but they don't support podcasts. And so we started taking our podcasts, the audio recordings, and putting them into articles. And then we launched Marketing News Canada, the news site, with hopes of seeing what it looks like to partner up with Heritage Canada to produce more great Canadian content about our industry, and then also fill it with more, um, I feel like more diversified voices and uh, that often aren't uh, kind of lifted up on other marketing uh, publications. I don't think that podcasts are great lead generators. I do think that they are great for nurturing the people that we currently serve and providing value to them. So if you think of your current client base, have they come to you and said, wow, that episode was amazing, or I've gotten so much value from hearing you talk to Seth Godin. <laughs> you know, Seth Godin's a big name in marketing. Yeah, I've heard like nice people are nice. But I also, I'm like, I also question, like, do you actually listen to it? I don't know. I, people, I think, I think people are just being nice and polite, to be honest. Like, I, I get, I'm in a meeting the other day, and it's like, oh man, you got that podcast, so great, love your podcast. Part of me is almost like, are you just saying that because you're nice? I do like, or sometimes I get like, some, but I, I think this is very, you know, like those cold emails. Some people will do a bit of research, like I listened to your episode with da 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 da, and I heard this in it. I would like to now sell you this product, and so some people use it as like a jumping off point. But I don't know. The show has been interesting. I'm learning a lot from it, and even at one point, because we also did that video, um, one of our seasons got picked up by Amazon Prime, which was super hilarious in that way. So if you're in America or the UK, you can like watch the TV version of our podcast. See, I feel like you're underplaying your podcast because you just said a whole bunch of things like the amazing guests that you've had on, the fact that it got picked up at Amazon Prime and that you've had these amazing sponsorships. So I'm going to give you credit where credit is due. That's Darian for you. He's the most humble person ever. But okay, but I will say this. I Okay, and I'm saying this to Chris. We were talking about this recently, our producer, and I was like, hey, I, I think I there's two guests I cannot get. There are two. So MailChimp is being slippery. And um, uh, Squarespace. I can't get those. And don't Sarah, forget. Sarah wants Simon Sinek. Simon wants Simon Sinek. So we got like the second, we got Simon second, like the guy who runs Simon Sinek Industries for Canada, which was great. And he was very inspiring. But yeah, Sarah would like Simon Sinek. And I still want someone from Squarespace and someone from MailChimp. Those are like my, I think if I can get those two brands on the show, I think I'll be like, 
I'll be good. Because, but I think that's what keeps me going is like, and Pinterest, Pinterest keeps delaying because they're like, we're about to open a Canada office. Wait till we open a Canada office. But a part of me is like, I like the chase still of like being told no. Because I think, and maybe that's bad, but a part of me is like, I love being told no because I'm like, or getting ghosted because I'm like, no, I'm going to somehow find a way. I'm going to find a way that you're going to be like, I want to be on your show. But I think I think it's a matter of time. You sound very persuasive and also relentless in terms of wanting to get these guests on. I know. Before we wrap up here, I have one question for the both of you. Uh, we know that when you grow a team, it pushes you to learn a lot of things about yourself as an individual. What would you share with other leaders as one of the most important things you've learned along the way to growing your team? I'd say for me, it's um, advocating and being very open to feedback for or about yourself. So I love asking our team members how I can support them better and how I can uh you know, do something differently to help make their their jobs a little bit easier for them day to day. I always find it so interesting when business owners or entrepreneurs say that they're not open to feedback from from team members because it's, you know, we have annual reviews with our team members and we give them their strengths and their areas for opportunity. And we expect them as our employees to to, to show growth year over year in those areas. And so I think if we're not able to look internally and say, you know, leadership is not just something that you can just check off as a skill because someone gave you an endorsement for it on LinkedIn or whatever. It's something that is, you know, you have to continually work on and and grow. So I think just being open and, uh, and uh, excited to receive feedback from your team is crucial. Tyrion? Oh, man, I feel like I, I learn something every day. I, I, it's so hard. There's so many things, whether it's, I learn how impatient I am. Uh, I learn, uh, I don't know, maybe so I, I think it is, it's like a, like any relationship, right? It like it put, they put a mirror up against you and, uh, in front of you and you see all the parts of you that, yeah, you do want to change and develop and grow. But I think, yeah, I think my, my, uh, impatience and I think I've learned partly like how impatience and trying to be fast can hurt, uh, others. And I think we like, especially when we were a smaller agency, we, again, we were much like a speedboat, right? Small and quick. We can do nimble. We can do, and in a speedboat, you can do quick turns, right? And you can quickly navigate on a lake. But as we got bigger, right? Like more like a, you know, a bigger boat and, and maybe, you know, like a big party boat, you could call it. And as you're navigating the lake, if you do want to turn one way, it takes more people involved. You know, you actually have to tell the person in the engine room, you got to switch that thing off. You got to move over here. You know, people have to be ready to do it. And if you try to yank, a bigger boat one way, it, it damages the boat. People get uh, scared on the boat. Uh, people can fall off. And so I think if anything, I'm just, I, I think it's a daily discipline for me of remembering that, hey, we're a, you know, we're not a speedboat anymore. You know, sometimes patience is the key to, to ensuring that people are respected and appreciated and loved and, and treated well uh, in this process and in this journey. And I think sometimes even just waiting it often is a better uh, result in the end versus just being quick because I think for so long we had to be quick to get to market and be the first there and the quickest there but I think now it's just it's almost better for us to be better quality versus quickness thank you for sharing that to wrap up what keeps you both inspired and at your best yeah one thing I've really learned about myself is uh and something I'm definitely not shy to say is I, I think I perform at my best when I give myself the grace to have a little bit of downtime too. I think it's so so important, especially i mean i'm a I'm outside of work, I'm also a mom, so um being able to take a break and uh do a little bit of self care whether it's have a glass of wine or do a Peloton class on in the evening. Um, Jerry and I are both really into Peloton. So um, yeah, so just making time for yourself, whether it's 30 minutes a day or an hour on the weekend, whatever you need, make time for yourself. And uh, yeah, that's how I've learned to, to really thrive when I have that downtime incorporated into my life. Sarah has a life hack where she, she figured out a way to get like a bike, like a bike thing. And what, what have you done? Tell us what you did because it's so cool. Yeah. So I have, I just have a Schwinn bike, a Schwinn spin bike at home. And then I use the Peloton app on my phone and I now have Peloton bike basically. Cause I just use the app. <laughs> it's my hack. My hack is I found Peloton was free for two months and I started using the outdoor run 
thing because no bike would fit in my, I have a very small home here and four children. So I've been doing the outdoor runs and I love it. 20 minutes a day, short, quick, but it gets me outside, clears my head. And again, especially with no commute or no driving or downtime as much, it's been a real huge uh, help for sure. There's also this great children's book called uh, You Are Special, which I'm a huge fan of. And it's about um, this wooden person named Punchinello. And he, he lives in this world where people give, uh, you know, gray dot stickers and silver star stickers. You know, the, the great wooden people get star stickers and the, those that aren't good wooden people get these gray dot stickers. And he's not a very good wooden person. He's always tripping and fumbling. And when he tries to do a cool jump, he trips again and falls and he doesn't do a good jump and he gets a circle and he falls, gets a circle. And he's sad. And one day he sees this uh, little Weemek walking by. It's the name of these wooden people. And she has no stickers at all. And so he finally finds her and chases her down and says, how do you have no stickers? She goes, well, I go up and I see the woodcarver up there on the hill. And so Punchinella was sitting in his bed and thinking, maybe I should go. I don't know. It seems weird and scary. But the next day he finally ventures out and goes up and climbs the hill. And as he opens this massive door and opens it up, uh, the woodcarver is like, Punchinello, it's so good to see you. Come up here. Come sit up here. And Punchinello's like, how do you know me? Like, how is, what is this? And the woodcarver picks him up, puts him on his you know, little table. He goes, how do you know me? And he says, well, I, I made you. He goes, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I got these stickers all over me. I'm not very good at anything. He goes, no, no, none of that's true. He goes, I never make mistakes. You're amazing. He goes, you are special. And he goes, oh, I don't know. I don't think so. No one thinks that about me. And the woodcarver goes, well, you ain't come up every day. Come up, just visit, and I'll just remind you. And so he puts uh, Punchinello back down on the ground, and he, as he's walking away, he goes, really, you want to see me? He goes, come tomorrow, every day. I'd love to see you. And as Punchinello is leaving out the door, one of his little gray dot stickers falls off. Uh, and it's just this beautiful children's story, meant for children, but great for as any entrepreneur and anyone in you know business and you know in the creative field where I think the the – you know, stories of this world and the, you know, feedback from this world and reviews in this world, you know, in this cancel culture we're in, I think trying to come up with like unique ideas and being creative and being refreshing and trying to find refreshment for yourself, it's being able to find that wood carver in your life, right? That moment in your life that you remember who you truly are uh, outside of whether people give you stars or whether people give you circles, whether it's good or bad, it's being able to find that voice in your life that says, hey, this is who you truly are. No matter what the world says, this is who you are as a person. This is where your value comes from. And um, you know, I think that's when you can find that voice and find that anchor. It allows you to, um, I think, do anything and be anything and, and forge through all those hard things. Amen to that. Darren, I'm going to include the link to that book in our show notes. And if you guys can share, where can the listeners find you? At Jelly Marketing on all things social. You can find us there. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It would mean the world to me. Or send a screenshot on Instagram while tagging me at Audrey Joy Kwan.